it is very apparent that God is in this house this morning. And if God's here, everything else is going to be okay. Everything else is going to be oh here. Amen. This, if we could open our Bibles to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I'm going to read two scriptures. The first one is Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The second one is Matthew chapter 7, verse number 14. We will take our text and our title from these two verses. Luke chapter 4 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. I'm going to read that just to expedite time while you're turning there. It says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, read a portion of that again. And when there came, and when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man. And the title I give for the sake of remembering today is a certain man. A certain man. I saw a book a few, a few days ago. Actually, my grandmother gave it to me. It was written by T.F. Tinney. And the title was along these lines. I couldn't remember the exact title last night when I wrote this down. But the title was along these lines. Thus saith the Lord... Or was it me? And I have not read the book yet, but I surmise, Bishop Mayo, that the book is probably to ministers. And he's probably commending us that we should make sure that we are saying what God says and not what we want to say. In fact, that's one of the things that scares me the most. is not, not what should I say, but what should I not say. When you dive into the Bible, you realize very quickly, I know you're standing, so I'm, we're almost done, okay? I'll let you be seated, and you can sit the whole time if you want after that, and I'll just stay standing. I'll take one for the team. But one of the only things that scares me is that I, I say what I want to say, and I miss what God wants to say. There's a whole Bible of things that you can say when you preach, but there's only a certain thing that God wants to say. God sent me here with very two clear messages. The first one I will state before we pray and you are seated. And the second one I will, through the help of the Holy Ghost, preach for a few minutes. The first message is this. This church is in a fight. Okay, well, duh. <laughs> That's what spiritual warfare is. No, this church is in a fight. 
but you are winning. You're winning. And God is pleased with this church. God is pleased with this church. And the second one we will now attempt to preach with the help of the Holy Ghost. Could you lay your Bibles down and let's pray this morning. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. God, I know you're in this sanctuary. I know what you spoke to me. God, help me to communicate to this congregation the word that you have put within my heart. Above all, Jesus, thy kingdom come and thy will be done in this sanctuary. Let there be deliverance in this house this morning, God. Let there be healing in this house this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We love you, Jesus. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying. We immediately pick up, if you are reading through the text here, you immediately pick up on, on multiple words that you could pull out and, and begin to exposit or, or pull out meaning from. The first one which we will focus on is the phrase, there came a certain man. The Bible does this in multiple places, and sometimes it's in parables. Sometimes it is, in, it is a historical reference to a man. In this case, it is a historical man. And the Bible says it was a certain man. The word certain begins to immediately draw your attention to the man. In other words, this was not just any man. This was not just any woman. If you go before this, it says that they were come to a multitude, which lets us know there were many men and women and boys and girls and people of all ages were there. But the Bible immediately says, no, don't look at everything that's going on here. Focus on this certain man. What that says to me is that you matter. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not here. Now, I know we get up. Sunday and we say, well, I'm going to go to church today. But really, all week long, God has been drawing you to this church this morning. All week long, God has been setting things in your path, especially if you haven't had the opportunity to be born again yet. All week long, God is orchestrating the entire week for you to wake up and make the decision to come to church. All week long, God has been putting things in your spirit, putting things in your mind, whether it's on your job or at your house or while you're sleeping, God begins to deal with your spirit. You matter to God. You matter to God. You're not an accident. You didn't end up here by mistake. And this is what the text is telling us, a, a certain man. He comes to Jesus. Then, if you continue with the exposition, the very next phrase says that he is kneeling down. This man was, in fact, in a place of humility and submission to God. Anytime that you come before someone and kneel, you are, sh you are, so you are showing excuse me, your submission to God. So now we see that this man mattered. Don't worry, we're, we're painting a picture and then we're going to. Wrap it up and we'll be done and go eat. 
something, pizza or something, I don't care. We're going to have a good time. But God wants to speak to someone this morning. I mean someone specifically. God wants to speak to you. And so the man is kneeling down. So for instance, we don't have this in the United States, but there are a few countries in the world that still have royalty, actual royalty that is not just a figurehead, but they truly do rule in the role of royalty. And if you were to go before them, you would still kneel or bow or show a sign of submission. And so now we see this man coming to Jesus. It is a specific man, and he is kneeling, or he is in a place of submission to God. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So many times we quote the end of that, and we skip straight over the first part. We say, well, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. No, no, no. You, you have to keep the scripture in context. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And, and we're going to go all the way through this. But if you're in this house this morning and you're struggling with, with oppression or depression or fear or anxiety or addiction or, or, or all the things that life and Satan can bring to an individual, if you're struggling with that this morning and you want free, God wants to set you free this morning. But the first step is submission. We could go all the way to the end of Matthew. Jesus in the garden, kneeling down, and he says, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In other words, Jesus reaches a point where he says, Look, if I can go this way, I will. But at all costs, God, let your will be done. Above all else, Jesus, let your will be accomplished. This man is in this posture before God. He's kneeling down. And as you begin to read on, we find that this young man is in a, a, a very difficult situation. Not the certain man kneeling, but his son. And he comes on behalf of his son. And so this man, the certain man, comes to Jesus and he begins to ask God to have mercy. For his son is struggling. In fact, when, when you begin to dive into studying this young man, the one that was sick, when you begin to study him, more than likely he suffered from epilepsy. And there's a, a whole sermon that I feel, I feel constrained. It doesn't, it's not important to this morning. But there is a lot there that you could add. He struggled, he, he struggled with, this, with this affliction, with this addiction, with this suffering. And yet, in the nuances of the story, God rebukes it, which immediately made me ask the question, was this man demon-possessed? And if we're not careful, this isn't in my notes, but let's just throw it out there. If we're not careful, sometimes we try so hard to, to medically diagnose something that God can still take care of. Because it, in, the, in the end of the story, it doesn't matter whether the man was suffering with epilepsy from demon possession or if there was a complication when he was born, God can heal both. God can heal it either way. Regardless, this young man is suffering from this sickness. And so his father begins to intercede on his behalf. There's so many beautiful things in this story. For instance, we could liken the father in this to your bishop and man of God. You go to the teachings of the Apostle Paul. He says that you have... One father in the gospel. 
You have, many, you have many teachers, but you have one father. See, this is the beauty of the Bible when you open it up and you lay it there and you say, okay, God, just talk to me. But regardless of all the nuances of this story, as it unfolds, the father begins to tell Jesus that, okay, Jesus, I have, now this is my, my translation, okay, I'm working on, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not writing a Bible, but this is my translation. It's paraphrased. Just, just bear with me, okay? So the, the, the father begins to convey to Jesus, look, Jesus, I, I have a son. I need you to heal my son. He's suffering. And at that time, they didn't know what epilepsy was. And so he begins to unfold what's going on. And the son, for, it, the scripture says, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. In other words, this man, this young man had a propensity to suicidal thoughts. I know that's a little bit more serious and we're having good church, but it's still in our world. And it's not the answer. I don't care how dark your life is. Suicide is not the answer. It's not the answer. God still has his hand on your life. God's anointing is still on you. And, it, and once again, the Bible is, is causing us to focus on key words. The power of language. The word falleth. It means to fall down. For instance, if I was, and it'd be kind of funny, we'd all get a laugh at it. But if I went back up the stairs and tripped, you would say, oh man, he fell. And there'd probably be a video somewhere, and I'd end up on some, somewhere. And everybody get a laugh out of it. But that, that's what that word means. So, so this man, this young man, this boy, he would fall into the fire. He would fall into the water. In other words, it was beyond his control. And this goes back to epilepsy. But it's, it's beyond the young man's control. This is addiction. This is all in this story. So now the young man is... If we tie it to us, we can see that you can struggle with addiction and how addiction overcomes you. And it's beyond your control. Sometimes it's, it's literally to the chemical makeup of your body. Your body becomes dependent on whatever it is, alcohol or drugs. or You become chemically addicted. And it's beyond your control. And you want out. I don't think this young man, when he was in his right mind, wanted to fall into fire. He did not want to fall into water. But then this thing, he would, he would fall prey to, this, to this, this illness and it would overcome him. All of this is going on in this account of the Bible. And then it comes out. And hear me, this is not directed at this church, okay? This is just part of the text. But it comes out that, the, that the, the man had taken his son to the disciples and the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. Once again, this is not directed to this church. God already spoke to this church as a whole. And then Jesus becomes angry or, or annoyed. or there, there You could tell that Jesus' demeanor changes 
And he begins to talk about this faithless and perverse generation and, and how long must I suffer you? What that means, what, when you look into the word suffer, it actually means how long must I bear you up? And now you get to see the power of God that he is really holding all of this thing together. And so a little bit of the divinity of Jesus slips through in that statement when he says, how long do I have to hold all of this together? And he says, bring the young man to me. And so the young man is brought to the feet of Jesus. And we all know the story. Jesus rebukes whatever is going on. And then the Bible says something very interesting. It says that the son was cured. It doesn't say healed. It says cured. Now this next portion of the sermon is not original with me, but it preaches real good. It is, in fact, from, from my father, my pastor. And daddy, if you listen to this, I love you. The word cured is actually, when you go back to the original Greek, is very similar to the word healed. In fact, in the New Testament, there are two words for healing. One word is iumie, which means healed. Divinely, immediately healed. This word is used 28 times in the New Testament. What does that mean? For instance, when you have uh, blind Bartimaeus and he cries out to Jesus, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the whole account unfolds. When Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus, it is immediate. It is an immediate healing. In fact, there's one account in Acts where both words are used. I think it's in the same verse or, or, or two verses right next to each other. And we miss this in translation. But there's something powerful in this. And the account is that, that Luke and the Apostle Paul are shipwrecked and they end up on the island. And there's the man that suffers from a bloody flux. And it says that they healed him. It means that he was healed. Instantaneously healed. And then the next verse says that there were many that were sick that were brought unto Luke and Paul. And they were healed. Totally different word. The second word is therapeo which you have probably already immediately connected to our English word, therapy. This word is used 43 times in the New Testament. Now, time restricts us this morning to dive into the whole conversation of therapy and, and all that stuff. I'm sure that your bishop can direct you in all of that way better than I've ever dreamed of. You know, one of the most comforting things about preaching, and I'm just being open, okay? I feel at home this morning, so I'm just being open. One of the most comforting things for me about preaching in a church with someone like Pastor Mayo, Bishop Mayo, is that I don't have to worry about, I can't impress you. It's, the, it's like the level of preaching is like up here. <laughs> and then he brings in, he's like, I like this guy. I'm going to bring him in. I'm going to help him out. And it's like Bishop Mayo. And then it's like good pizza, and then it's like me, okay? 
So it puts you in this really cool spot where you're like, okay, God, I have no idea what to say. And they've already heard everything that could be preached out of the Bible or pretty close. So you're just going to have to speak this morning. The Holy Ghost is going to have to move. It takes the ball totally out of my park, which is great. It takes all the stress right off of me. So if you have questions about therapy, don't ask me. Because I don't know. Ask Bishop, okay? Like I said, this is my dad's thought. God just said to preach it right here. It's the word therapeo, or therapy. And so now back to our, our text. This boy is cured, but it's not the word iumie. It's the word therapeo. And so why therapy, God? Why not immediate healing? What are you saying here? What's going on in the text is that the young man could be healed immediately. And then he goes on his, he goes on his way. Life continues. But one of the things about therapy is it's drawn out. And so now this, this young man is in the position where he must continually go back. To Jesus for sessions of therapy. It's not that God can't immediately heal you. It's that God is more, he, he is more infatuated with a relationship with you rather than your physical healing. This is why you get into one place and he says, if your hands offend you, cut it off. Why? Because he's concerned with your soul. He's concerned with your eternal well-being. Yes, God wants physical well-being for you. But if one must go at the cost of the other, God will always reach for your soul. And so the young man is healed, but not, not immediately. It's through this this process of therapy it's relationship the other day I was listening to a lecture I've been doing some online schoolwork. I was listening to a lecture and I was listening to a Jewish rabbi talk about what they believe he began to talk about creation he began to bring out some things that I had never thought about like for instance God created us to give himself meaning That's not important. I mean, it is, but not to what we're talking about right now. But what stuck out to me is that God did this. Why? Relationship. It's all about relationship. Every single thing you read in the New Testament is about what? The kingdom of God. This blew my mind, and it was just a little pop, but this blew my mind the other day when God began to show me this. So we talked about a healing. Why was this young man healed? The kingdom of heaven is like unto, and he'll give you all these different reasons. But this young man was healed physically to show you that in the kingdom of God, there is wholeness, and God wants to heal you spiritually. 
And so the whole, new, the, no, the whole New Testament took on a new meaning to me. Because why? Everything is about the kingdom of God. So the main point of this, what we brought out, is that God wants relationship with you. He wants to heal you of your addiction. He wants to heal you of your oppression or your depression or your anxiety or your fear. We're living in a world where fear has gone rampant. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But how do I tap into that? How do I get access to this thing that seems so far away in this chaotic world? It is through relationship. It's through relationship. And so, I'm almost done if the musicians would come. A few weeks ago, and Bishop, if this is out of line, just grab the mic and, and I will submit. A few weeks ago, I was standing in the altar. I've never had this happen to, to me in my entire life. I'm telling you this story only to be open and accountable to you with the story that follows after. I was standing in the altar at our church and a man of God was preaching uh, Pastor Jeremy Wilbanks and I felt the Holy Ghost call me to the altar it wasn't just he, he preached an amazing sermon and he preached about seeking after God and, and, and all of these different things and it was a mighty move of God and I had already prayed but I felt God specifically draw me to the altar so I went to the altar I began to pray and I didn't really feel anything. I knew I was supposed to be here. I was standing in the altar. I was praying. And the Holy Ghost hit me in a way that I've never really felt before. And I begin to see things. I don't mean physically. I, I've heard of men of God opening their eyes and seeing physical things in a sanctuary. And I would love to see that. That's a level in the spirit that I dream of walking in, but I've never been there. But I begin to see things in my mind. I saw a couple things. It's irrelevant to what's going on right now. And then God told me very clearly. He said, you are, be you are going to begin to see things. When you see them, speak it out. That was it. On the way here, I knew that God had, well, I thought that God had told me what to preach. I was sitting on the airplane, and I was going through the notes, and I was, I don't know if all preachers do this, but I do it. I was reading through the notes, and I was like, that doesn't fit, and I'd cross out the pen, and change this, your spelling's wrong. My grandmother would kill me if she proofread my sermons. <laughs> forget a period here. I'll just do it. Like God told me what to say. I'm just working through it. And the Holy Ghost moved everything out of the way. And he said, no, no, no. Go over here. And I went to this text. And God began to talk to me. I'm just going to tell you, if you're not talking with God, you're missing out. 
the places that God will take you in the Spirit. Not as a preacher, but as someone that He's in love with. The places that God wants to take us. Sometimes I can't help but think that when I mess up, I don't just frustrate God, but I grieve Him. Not in anger, but as a hurt that I want to take you somewhere. And my flesh drags me down. And God began to add this. Take this away. You don't need to say that. And he begins to, as only God can, cut away. Deal with this. Talk about this. Don't say this. And I got all the way through to the end. And I went to put my pen away. And God said, don't put your pen away. I left it out. Okay, God. This is way. If you don't speak to me, I ain't got nothing to say at this point. And I begin to see. I don't know if it was a vision. I don't know what it was. I don't understand all of that. All I know is what God told me a few weeks ago and what I saw. And what I saw was a young man. And he was in stocks. If you don't know what stocks are, it's, it's in reference to, to a medieval punishment where there was a, a wooden, it, it looked a lot like a yoke. There was a hole in the middle, a bigger hole in the middle of this big piece of wood. The wood would unfold. And there was smaller holes on either side. The person's head would be put in the bigger hole. In their hands, and they would literally, like this. And then the, the top part would close. They would be locked. And it all kind of, I mean, they'd be left there for days, and people would throw rotten tomatoes at them. And it is a sign of bondage. And I saw a young man in there. I know who you are, but I'm not going to say. And I begin to say, okay, God, what am I seeing? And God said, you're seeing a young man that wants free, but he can't get out. Why can't we get out? We talked about it because you can go to a place in addiction where it's beyond your control. If you're in this house, young man or young lady, and you're not addicted, stay away from addiction. Stay away from sin. Find you an elder and let him talk to you. Find you a man of God and submit to him. If you're having problems with your phone, throw it in the trash. Your iPhone is not worth hell. I don't care what your friends say. I don't care about all that. Find you a man of God. Get in the Holy Ghost. Submit to him and be set free. And God began to talk to me about that young man, about how the anointing of God's on his life. And there's a call there. And it seems like uh, the young man thinks the call's gone away, but it's not gone. The gifts uh, and the callings of God are without repentance. God doesn't create you and change his mind as to why you're here. I said, okay, God. I see it. What do I do? I can't unlock that. He said, I can. And I'm going to. But here's the key, young man. 
This is the key, young man. God's going to unlock it. And God's going to set you free. But he's going to do it through therapy. God's not going to walk into this house this morning and unlock the key and say, okay, you're on your way. And you get to skip off into living happily ever after. No. Why? Because God doesn't just want to set you free. He wants your heart. He wants relationship with you. And you've ran from the call of God and you've hid from the call of God and you've sidestepped the call of God and guess what? The call of God is here again this morning through a 25 year old kid that can't preach for nothing but God is saying my call is on you and it will never go away. You're never going to get away from the call of God. You're never going to outrun God's grace. You're never going to outrun God's mercy. If we could all stand, I'm almost done. We love to talk about the story of the prodigal. And I've never thought about this till God began to talk to me. But there's a story about the prodigal we don't talk about because it's not in the text. And that's after the party. We talk about how the young man came home. You know, he took everything that... the. the Everything that was his from the father. He didn't take everything. But he took his, his portion of the inheritance. And he goes away into a far country. And he spends it all. And he ends up in a pig pen. And he loses all his friends. And there's all this analogy and type and shadow. And, and then he comes home. And we, we love to talk about how the father is there. I've preached this before. How the father is there. And he's waiting. The father didn't chase him out of the home. But when the son started coming back. The father met him halfway, if you will, and brought him back and clothes him and, and he gives him the sign, the ring in his hand is a sign of, of power and authority. It really was like your parents giving you your, their wallet and the keys to the car. Never happened for me. That's a good thing. We know the father go go kill the fatted calf and and, and the party. You know that every time I see party in the in in the Bible now, I just think of Holy Ghost. That could be wrong, and and there's probably some scholars in here like, what is this kid preaching? But I do every if you paid attention to this morning, the whole the whole now it's now it, the. The Holy Ghost party is different than us because at a party in the world it's supposed to be, you know, just all this happiness, not joy, happiness comes from the word happenstance. In other words, if things happen correctly, I'll be happy about it. If they don't, you lose your happiness. But in God's parties, there's joy. What is joy? Joy is something where I can be weeping, but it's inside of me. That's the party of the Holy Ghost. That's what this party was. Slay the fatted calf. We're going to throw a party for my son who was dead, is alive. And now you have all these different types and shadows in the gospel. And I'm just going to stop real quick and tell you, if you don't have the Holy Ghost this morning, you need to get the Holy Ghost before you leave this morning. God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. What is that? That is God living inside of you, giving you the authority and power to walk as a new creature. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. You become new. 
This is all the things we preach about this story. I've preached them. I've heard them preached my whole life. But God asked me, what about after? Okay, what about after? After. After when the son comes back to the father and he's trying to take the robe off. and No, 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 I, this doesn't belong to me, dad. Think of what I did to you, dad. And God's is slipping out here. But the father is taking that robe and he's putting it back on the son saying, no, no, you are my son. You're still my son. And how the young man has to deal with his older brother and, and not only the, the, the animosity that's already in this story, but what about what, this, what the younger brother felt because I have failed my older brother. If we think that the prodigal story was a happily ever after, after the party, we missed it. There was a whole lot of baggage that came back with that young man. There was addictions. There was failures. There was fear. There was doubt. There was oppression. But the father didn't care. God doesn't care about your baggage. He cares about you. Do we think that God created all of this and then he can't take care of our baggage? No, no, we're missing it. We're missing the point. Every, every, everything in creation is about God having relationship with you. I'm done. I close with this. The words of Jesus, Matthew 11, 28 and 29. As God says this again this morning. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, listen, listen. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, throw off the yoke of addiction. Throw off the yoke of am I good enough. Throw off the yoke of look at my past. No, no, no. Take my yoke upon you and not I'm going to fix everything right away and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest for your soul what's God saying this morning to you young man and to anyone else that this is applied to God's saying two things he wants relationship with you, and he's willing to help you put it back together. God doesn't care how far you've gone. God doesn't care what all you've done. God doesn't care what's all in your past. God wants your heart, and he said, you're not going to walk in this alone. I will be with you every step of the way. Get in this yoke with me. Get under this burden with me. Come on, we've got a city to reach. We've got a world to save. Time is wrapping up. God is coming back. It's not time to give in to all of the things that Satan wants you to give in to. These altars are open. If God's speaking to you this morning, why don't you come and spend some time with him? Come on, God's not going to leave you in this thing alone. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God sees where you're at. God knows what you're fighting.
He wants to put it all back together. Come on, that's it. Come on, church. You know, you know who's here. You know who God's dealing with. Find somebody and pray with them if God wasn't speaking to you this morning. God needs to put some things back together this morning because there's a call at stake. There's an anointing at stake. God needs those people. God needs every single one of us. Come on, that's it. Come on, it's not time to to just hide and bury yourself in guilt and self-doubt. No, it's time to come boldly before the throne of grace and say, okay, God, I messed it up, but you can fix it. I messed it up, but you can put it back together. I messed it up, but your grace is sufficient for me. Come on, let's let's pray. Come on, let's pray. Come on, let's pray. God, have your way. God, have your way. God, pour out your spirit. God, pour out your anointing. God, pour out your virtue. Let the Holy Ghost fall. Take dominion, Jesus. Take dominion right now, God. 